Hello, everyone. This is Mike Saddam, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks podcast, where we believe if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. The past couple of weeks, we have focused on appreciative inquiry, including last week's episode on the constructionist principle, using the example from one of my all-time favorite shows, Seinfeld. My apologies for anyone who downloaded that episode right away. Something went a little haywire with the first upload, so I had to reload it. So if you had any issues, just delete that one and download it again from your favorite podcast site. So today, we get to continue kind of along the line of appreciative inquiry where we're looking at strengths and ways to have a positive impact on our organizations and on our workplaces. Because today's guest is Karen Jaw Madsen. She is the one who introduced me to Sherry Torres, the guest from episode 46. And Karen's pretty awesome, so let me tell you why. First, she was a successful corporate executive and has a master's in social organizational psychology from Columbia University. She wrote the book called Culture, Your Culture, Innovating Experiences at Work. This is where the awesomeness really starts. Karen has done a ton of research, writing, teaching, speaking, and consulting, which has allowed her to focus on culture, organizational change, and strategies that help people get the most out of the workplace. So welcome to the Crucial Talks podcast, Karen. Thank you so much for being part of this. And for us to begin, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about you and why you're so focused on the experience people have at work and why you want to help organizations develop solutions where both the people in the organization and the business can both thrive. Okay, great. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on this show. Uh, I was blushing throughout your introduction, so it's a good thing this is audio and not video. <laughs> uh, but it's it's great to be here because I, I think um, there's a lot to talk and unravel here between even my personal story and the work that I do professionally. So I'll start there. Um, you know, culture's been a huge part of my life. Um, I would say it goes back to even childhood, being aware of um, the social structures around us that affected the way I experienced my childhood and the way my parents experienced life in America as immigrants. Um, I was hyper aware of how those impacted uh, pretty seminal experiences in my childhood. And, and that led me, uh, even in my youth with high school, to start exploring, um, you know, my identity, my cultural identity on uh, the Parts where my intersectionality kind of had um, conflict with one another and having to reconcile that um, all became a part of my personal exploration of who I am, who am I and how do I fit into this world. And, and that world piece is really this whole context of the culture that we live in. Uh, so much so that when I went into my undergrad um, studies. I did an independent major in ethnic and cultural studies, and it was at a time when interdisciplinary studies uh, were not in vogue as they are today. And it was something that I, I felt very strongly I needed to have for my education, and I went and got it. Um, and so exploring culture at a societal level was something that I had as my foundation. And when I entered the working world and I started to build my career, all that perspective started to grow in this space where most of us spend our time and that is at work. Um, and that's how I kind of made that transition from uh, studying culture at large to studying culture at work. Uh, and I had a great education at Columbia, wonderful mentors, uh, 
really intellectual superheroes that I kind of encountered between my education and my career, uh, so much so that this constant learning has kind of culminated with this book here that you see. And it'll continue. My journey will continue. but, But I felt that in 20 years I had enough developed that um, there was this huge need uh, that I felt that I could contribute toward. And that's what this book is about. Um, So this whole piece around organizational cultures and how they have such huge impact in our organizations and yet no one knows how to manage that. And so that's kind of where this book was, was born. Yeah, I love what you said, that you went from studying culture at large to culture at work. Uh, to me, that kind of seemed like there there was a lot of crossover there, but you were able to look at the workplace as a place that was still driven by culture, just like your experience of, of being in different cultures, growing up, studying cultures around the world. But mm-hmm. does did you see a correlation there between what you had studied of like this broader concept of culture and what you studied to get to where you are today with this concept of culture at work? Yeah. Um, so you kind of, it, it's kind of opening and closing lenses like you, you would an aperture on a camera, right? So um, you're looking at different levels of what's going on at the individual level versus say a team, versus an organization-wide level. And all those are are connected, although they're oftentimes treated separately. And that happens in our world, right? So you and I have the people in our lives, you know, and how we impact each other. And then we also kind of live in um, our communities, our countries, our world, right? So all of that is really all, they're all linked by scale. And understanding the connections between all of that, I think, is where we get a more complete picture of what's going on and what we can do about it, how we can affect it positively. Well, I love how you said that, too. So we get a more complete picture. And because, you know, people like us that are dealing with others in the workplace, dealing with leaders, dealing with line personnel, dealing with supervisors and managers and executives and all these people – there does sometimes seem to be a disconnect in some organizations between people at the top and people doing the work where the metrics Mm -hmm. may be being looked at by the people at the top and the policies and all these things written down give the people at the top this kind of uh, picture of how they think work is being done. Mm -hmm. But work that's actually being done may not meet what they're envisioning based on some of these metrics. Is that kind of what you found with some lagging indicators and things like that? Um, you know, I think those are a result of silos um, and lack of empathy, quite frankly, um, at the end of the day. Uh, so it, these systems that we set up, you know, we're, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of David Cooperetta quotes probably by the time we're done here. <laughs> uh, but we're perfectly designed for our current results, Right. Uh, that's something that he he taught, and that is, you know, where we are today in our current state is a result of how we've intentionally, we have intentionally designed it, right? Whether it was conscious or not is another thing, but that has to do with whether or not we're paying attention. Um, so for me, it's you know when you say those disconnects and those gaps, those have to that those have to do with the fact that these systems are operating in isolation of one another 
when in fact they should they work best when they're all integrated, right? So like like you would with gears on a machine, um, one should turn the other. Leaders should be able to rely on their people to be successful and vice versa. Well, and what I love what you just said, uh, coming from David Cooper, writer, and I've mentioned it before on this show where he's pretty much the one I look to is the person that came up with this whole idea of appreciative inquiry and how it, it came from what years and decades of research and trying to, to get to this place where we have these principles we can use to positive, positively affect organizations and systems. And what you mm-hmm. said was really great because you said where we are today are where we have intentionally designed our systems to, to basically get us. Now, mm-hmm. the work you've done and in your book, Culture Your Culture and Your, your Company, you talk about what is it called? The design of work experience? Yep. And that really, what you just said about intentionally designing it is what is why we get what we get. So now it really leads me to this concept you developed, design mm-hmm. of work experience. It sounds to me like what you offer and, and the information you have and how you help people is you can help design the experience at work to get these new outcomes that we might want to not only get the people to have good outcomes, but to get the business to thrive and have Mm -hmm. good outcomes. Is that what's kind of covered in your book? Yes, absolutely. So this framework was really written out of a frustration or this unmet need where, you know, this culture is typically blamed for failures of companies. And and that's to your using your terminology, a lagging indicator, right? But, but with the, with enough engagement and study and, and, uh, involvement, or even at the end of the day, just paying attention. <laughs> One can, and a company can manage culture on the front end and leverage it as a business asset as opposed to a business liability. It's a, so a design of work experience is in fact a co-creation model, right? It's, and so what that means is it breaks down these silos. It takes the whole of the organization and, and brings it together to intentionally design for a culture and the employee experiences that need to be aligned with it in order to be successful. Um, so in the book, I talk about this how-to because there hasn't been this step-by-step how-to up to this point. There's been a lot of how we did it um, or how we got there by accident, perhaps. <laughs> um, but this whole piece of how do you sustain it beyond that, you, there has to be a discipline around it. Right, because what you what it sounds like, and and having I haven't read the whole book yet, but but having mm-hmm. read parts of it, I can see exactly what you're saying, which is there are companies out there, there are organizations out there, there are groups of people out there that have cultures that have these different principles or these different indicators. Um, they have been designed that gets them to exceptional, but to find that, we kind of you you, you kind of figured out where they came from and how they got there. But the difference in what you do is it's not just the case studies and it's not just, mm-hmm. Hey, how did they do it? What, mm-hmm. what the book culture or culture has and the design of work experience principles and concepts have is a way to actually draw those blueprints first. So you don't have to deconstruct a building to figure out how they mm-hmm. got there. Mm-hmm. You kind of get to design your own building to mm-hmm. get people to that, that kind of exceptional work experience. Is that, is that kind of what's in your book is more of a, a planning, a, st- a strategy on how to make this happen? Yeah, it's a, it's both a design 
of that strategy, the implementation and the sustaining of it. And, um, and, and the key here and the difference between this and perhaps case studies that people have read is that what Dewey does is enable an organization to first build the capability to manage their own culture, but second, to be able to create these strategies and cultures and experiences um, that are customized to this unique context of the organization. No one organization is the same, right? We all have different people. We have different business challenges. We have different cultures. Um, and so, and we all want to differentiate, by the way, right? Because we have a war for talent and the key is differentiation. Um, so you can't get there by doing what everyone else is doing. You can't, you can't expect that you implement something that someone else has done and it's going to function in the same way within your organization. And so we have to create um, a deep self-awareness of our organizations to understand what's actually going to work and how we're going to actually transform ourselves from where we are today to where we want to go tomorrow. Um, so a big part of this work is not only designing for it, but changing toward it. Um, and then being able to implement and sustain that uh, over time. Well, and so sustaining it over time, because this doesn't sound like, I mean, I'm a guy that has taught culture, organizational culture in the past. And one of the things I tell people about culture change is the fact that it takes courage and focus because there have been case studies where culture shift may have happened, but it happened mm -hmm. in a short period of time. And as soon as right. certain leaders left or certain focus That's changed, right. it kind of mm -hmm. just shifted back to the way it was. So right. this this ability to create this plan and these strategies that kind of have mm -hmm. an ongoing part of the lifeblood of that organization, mm -hmm. how do you actually do some of that stuff? I mean, is it something... Is it something that's just embedded in the people? It's something that's in the policies? It's something that's in, you know, the metrics? What is it exactly that – what's the, the right. keystone to having these things have a life of their own so they don't just disappear yeah. when somebody leaves? Yeah. Um, well, you know, if you're talking about tasks, there's a ton that I talk about in the book. Um, but if I were to summarize what it means is you got to be able to sustain enough momentum so that whatever change you just implement – is solidified within. So, you know, these classic change models of, you know, unfreeze, change and freeze. And, and this piece where people always forget that, that they need to sustain whatever they implemented, right? So um, we tend to say, okay, we're task-driven individuals. We finished our work so we can move on. And you're not there to sustain it. You're not there to provide momentum. Um, you're not there to drive it. And, and because of that, that change actually doesn't become permanent for a long time. And so organizations, um, there are examples, you talk about case studies, there are examples of organizations where the culture is so strong that even the introduction of new executives um, kind of create these antibodies where um, change is actually difficult to implement or certain um certain values that are not in line with the company's identity, um, those get rejected and for good reason, and they should be. Um, so there are examples of where really strong cultures can become that foundation um, by which all business is driven. Um, and, and it isn't everything that we do from conversations people have with each other to the way teams deliver their, their projects to how an organization performs 
um, you know, in the in the market. So there's there's um, a lot of connection points here that people miss that culture has behind everything. It's it's there regardless of whether or not you're paying attention to it. And so what I'm arguing is um, you either manage your culture or let it manage you because there's lots of examples in the newspapers and online around what happens when you don't pay attention, when you don't sustain um, positive changes and you allow things to deteriorate to a point where you have a breaking moment, right, where things hit the fan and then it's crisis, and so instead of trying to avoid a crisis, it's, you know, how do you leverage culture so that it's a strength? Well, and so one of the things I used to tell people, I guess I still do, is that culture is something that's like power. It's all around us. It's in every organization. It comes in and out. It doesn't matter how strong the hierarchy is or anything like that. Income into the sides and up to the bottom and down through the top. And it's <laughs> culture is one it's of those like things. like water. It's like water, or as I, I think, put in one of my blog posts, it's like the force in Star Wars. It surrounds everything we do. So, <laughs> um, But when we're talking about changing culture and we're talking about designing the work experience so that people and business both thrive, mm-hmm. how important are the people to this process? Uh, at the end of the day, they are the process. Um, it's, it's not... You could have the best tools in the world. If you don't have the people part down, you're still going to fail. Um, so, pe- you know, this has to do with leveraging the people. All, all businesses need people um, to succeed, right? And so um, being able to be more cent- people-centered, I think you even, you and I talked about before before this uh, before the episode started, we talked about policies and procedures. You know, when we when we run our businesses according to policies and procedures, and we forget why those were created in the first place, you know, we lose that focus on people. And this people-centered design is is really a, in addition to appreciative inquiry, is a huge influence on design of work experience as well, um, because what it does is, and you say, how do you get both people in the business? You know, there are aligned agendas there, right? It's it's about how you manage that to be able to create these environments and to design experiences where both needs are being met. Um, and, and you have to actually learn this experientially through this process. Um, I walk people through it in the book, but the only way you can fully appreciate it is to actually do it yourselves. Well, and that's uh, another thing I love about what you're doing and for everybody listening, when we say DOWE, that is actually D-O-W-E, which is the acronym for Design Design of Work Experience. And what I love about what you're doing is the fact that it's based on this experience. It's, it's based on experiences mm-hmm. because to me, somebody who who's kind of a student of people, how we transform ourselves, how we work in teams, how people work in mm-hmm. systems, how people are pretty much the same as we always have been. We just have a bunch of more technology, but we're still driven by social motivators. That experience part is super important because it does mm-hmm. affect emotions and feelings and storytelling and all these things that allow people to construct new realities with other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what does this, what in Dewey, what does the experience actually look like 
because it's not just, I mean, a lot of people that listen to this podcast may go to a conference here or a training session there, or they get sent to some offsite by their company. But this is deeper than that, right? This is something where, where people yeah. experience and engage together. What does that actually yep. look like when you go into an organization and, and help them do this? Well, you know, the answer is, is it depends on the organization because um, where they have the need and where they have the change um, and who they get involved has everything to do with what it's like. Um, now, just to go back to your earlier point about experience, it, it's it's everything you said and then some because experience is how we are coded. That's how we're that's how our memories are created. You know, and the fact that we don't run our organizations based on intentional design of experiences is actually um, something that's been missing for a long time. And, and I'm so glad to see that organizations are starting in the last few years to, to lob on to this because it is essential. Um, it's not policies and processes. It's the experience of going through those <laughs> policies and processes. Um that that have to do that that have to do with what it's like to work somewhere, right? You and I have been professionals for a long time, and we can talk probably for days on end about all the experiences we had, the memories we had from working at different employers, and how and we can talk very expertly about the differences between them, right? And so that that's the other thing that this book tries to help people understand is you don't need some ivory tower to tell you how to do your culture is in this book, you have uh, the tools you need to be able to create, co-design, implement, you know, and learn the skill or the capability to be able to leverage culture. I understand that experience and engagement and being, being together as a group and social belonging and social esteem and all these things drive behavior because it gives people a way to make sense of what's going on around them. And that experience mm -hmm. is key to Dewey and, and how you can get these changes implemented in an organization. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, right? Like I'm I'm one of these guys that I've already – I'm sold on it because I know it's real. I know it works. I know <laughs> all that stuff. But there are people mm -hmm. out there that are like – they're probably thinking to themselves, you know, that sounds great. But mm -hmm. there's got to be problems with it. What What is the downside or what's the hard part? of Dewey? Yeah. What are the challenges? I mean, what, what, if somebody yeah. decides to, to go down this road, what are the speed bumps they're going to hit, uh, when they start yeah. using Dewey? Yeah. Um, so the thing that makes it so special is also the thing that could take it down. And that is people. Um, we are, we have our mental blocks. We have, we are comfortable in the way things are as much as we complain sometimes about how we want it to be different. Um, I, I talk extensively because this is, very front end innovation um, stuff that people aren't necessarily accustomed to. Um, I do talk about the pitfalls that come along the way and, and how to anticipate them so that if you're prepared for it mentally, then you might be able to overcome them a little bit more easily. Um, and so it has to do with pe people's own shortcomings around, okay, what, where we came from a place where we weren't empowered, all of a sudden we have this, that's, that's completely empowering us and we don't know what to do with that empowerment. <laughs> it comes down to that sometimes. And I've had that happen with some clients. We know what you're asking us to do. We're not used to it. And this whole thing around I can or I can't, you know, that becomes 
um, part of the pitfalls of the process. Uh, and that's why I build this around teams and communities because where an individual might feel that they're having a weak moment, there's going to be a community around them supporting them um, when they need that and then vice versa, right? Um, everyone can support each other when they're having those moments. But the pitfalls to doing this work is in fact people. Um, I, I talk around all the conditions that need to be in place in order for this stuff to work. And, and the first, I would say uh, the prerequisite for doing this work is that your organization has to care about people. If you don't care about people, this is going to do nothing for you. Um, you have to you have to care about culture. You have to care about people and their capacity to to be an important part of the business um, in order to be able to do this. And and this powers them. You know, this work empowers them, engages them. Um, to be able to be a part of whatever change or whatever culture is aspirational to an organization. Well, so there's some, obviously some challenges that come with it, but it's the same mm -hmm. challenges we deal with constantly as people. We get comfortable in where we are. We get used yeah. to how we do things. It becomes mm -hmm. kind of ingrained in us. It's just the way business is done. And then now all of a sudden the organization wants to change things. It makes us mm -hmm. uncomfortable and that's mm -hmm. why I love what you said. I want to go back to it um, just to cover the importance of it because I know we're getting short on time, but I think it's a not only a really important thing we have to cover, but super beneficial to everybody to understand. And that's what mm -hmm. you said that, hey, people are coming from a place where they didn't have empowerment. Now they're going into a, a place of change where we're trying to build capacity and innovation, things they might not be used to. So one of the keys you said was you build it around teams and communities. And I was just, I just recorded as a guest on another podcast where I brought this up and I said, mm -hmm. hey, if you look at Navy SEALs or if you look at the Spartan races, you know, those team races, or you look at CrossFit or sports teams, you know, that are underdogs and all this stuff. There's community. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you can put me in a situation that is horrible. If I'm by myself, I might give up. But if you mm -hmm. have a team around you, a community around you that is dealing with yeah. the same type of change and same type mm -hmm. of challenges, you mm -hmm. are able to deal with that. Is that kind of what you see in your experience? That and that's why you you said that was that it's people can be the well, can be the yeah. <laughs> the downfall, but they can also they're yeah. they're also absolutely necessary. Can be the yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of this is research based, by the way. This is not me making anything right. up. <laughs> it, it's what we've understand about human nature. And our needs um, uh, that we've been studying for well over a century, you know, so this is really um, this. I've made sure that everything that is a part of this model is based not only in application, but also research of what we know. Um, and it integrates um, everything that um, that we understand. You, you talk about appreciative of inquiry that's been around for decades. Right. It stood the test of time. And we know that it's. It's a it's a lens. It's a tool. It's a system. It's a way of life that works. Right. Um, so. So I want people to understand that it's not this nice to have. It's a need to have um, that people don't realize it all the time. That's that, that's the issue. Right. Um, 
But once they're exposed to it, they can see the potential in it. And then once they have the potential leverage, then you know, it's almost like a drug. You become addicted to this work. Well, <laughs> at least I do. Well, and that, uh, you know what? It's exactly right, too, because I know in your research you've seen this, that when people are part of strong teams and they have social belonging, they have social esteem, yep. their yep. their brains, our, our cognitive abilities, we're our biology, yeah, yeah, it's the same as it always has been yep. when we were hunting yep. and gathering. We didn't have iPhones and cars and all that stuff. We still right. got that same kind of shot of dopamine and all that stuff that yeah. we're still getting today. Yeah, we're social creatures. We're sense You talk about sense making. We're sense making, experience driven, um, and community oriented beings. That's that's human nature, and we're tapping into the strength of that when we talk about this kind of culture work. Absolutely. So what um, what I'm kind of seeing as some of the benefits for this, because you, you come out and you say, you say, Hey, Dewey allows us to get people an experience at work that is appreciative, that's strength-based, that's positive. And it also has benefits for the company, for the business to thrive. But Mm -hmm. there's, there's kind of more to it than that, right? Because within that experience, if you're working on teams and you're building these communities and you're, you're setting up a plan for organizations to be able to go down this path they, mm-hmm. it, to me, it seems like they get a whole bunch more from this. Not only do Absolutely. they have a good yep. work experience, but now you're starting mm-hmm. to draw people into the organization and retaining people into the organization mm-hmm. based on social motivators and yep. not just money. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, we're adding meaningfulness into people's work. We're, we're connecting what they do every day to this greater purpose as to why this company exists you know, um, or why we do the way we do. Um, we're, we're tapping into the strengths and talents of an organization that typically go untapped. Um, and, you know, it's being able to create the vision or, or that challenge to the organization to go beyond their status quo and giving them good reason to. Um, so this whole piece around, that's also where I appreciate inquiry comes in, right? This this capitalizing of, of on the wholeness of an organization and the capacity that it has to generate all this potential that so many organizations leave on the table every day. Well, definitely. And I love this book because it does give people this blueprint and a strategy to help get them there because a lot of times what I say and what we talk about is something that people get but it's kind of vague, right? It's kind of nebulous because we're dealing with, with yes. people and social yeah. animals. But this yeah. book gives a blueprint. to, it, it, yeah. And really, the way I look at it is this. You're kind of giving us a blueprint, not to the bottom of Maslow's Pyramid, but you're telling us how to build the top, right? Like most organizations. Yeah. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. most organizations, mm-hmm. hey, 99% of them, they can give you the bottom two, right? They can give you safety and security. But then mm-hmm. when you start talking about love and esteem and belonging and all these things that's mm-hmm. hard for organizations to do because it's it is it's kind of squishy right <laughs> it's, it's, well you know people find it to be esoteric like i have heard that before people talk about uh culture as being esoteric well it's it, you talk to somebody who's either experiencing an, an extreme in the good way or the bad way so talk to somebody who's who's experiencing a toxic culture that's affecting their lives so much that they're bringing it home with them and it's causing health issues. I mean, you look at that and you're saying, 
How intangible is that? That's very tangible. And you talk to somebody who's doing um, extremely well in a culture that, and, and they're thriving. And there's a culture that's healthy and thriving for a lot of people that work there. And they can tell you that it's extremely tangible. So I, I think that it's easy for people because they don't understand it to say that it's not real. But um, at the end of the day, this is very similar to qualitative measures. It's a pass fail. You know, you can't, you know, okay, you can't put numbers to it. Or actually, sometimes you can. There's lots of <laughs> tools out there to help you put numbers to culture. But at the end of the day, it's a pass fail. And that's extremely tangible. Um, and, and a lot of people, because they don't understand culture, and, and I hope this book helps people understand culture a little bit better, um, but because they don't understand it, therefore they, they think it's um, something that's soft. And in fact, we know there's lots of data that says it's not. Yeah, and they just need somebody's help to get them to that point where they understand it just like they understand how to read a policy. Yeah, <laughs> that's so. <right. laughs> Well... <laughs> So, but I'm not writing a policy. This is not a policy book. No, yeah, yeah. No, we'll be clear about that. This is not a policy book. This is a this is a culture and an organization culture and a book about yeah. really about people because that's that's kind of where I, when I was reading it, that's kind of the focus is. Hey, we mm-hmm. know people are these are people based systems, and if we ignore the people in those people based systems, we're not going to mm-hmm. get to that level of excellence that we that's all right. really want to get to. I mean, we want mm-hmm. people to be happy at work, but at the same time. It's not a free-for-all. They can be happy at work while still mm-hmm. allowing the business to thrive. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually go into this whole discussion around distinguishing happiness from meaningfulness, right? So um, the perfect example is parenthood, right? We wouldn't necessarily say that we become parents to be happy because not every moment in parenthood is happy, but it's extremely meaningful. And therefore, we're willing to go above and beyond for it. Well, and I think that is a great place to kind of leave us off with this discussion. Um, again, the book is called Culture, Your Culture, Innovating Experiences at Work. And thank you so much, Karen. I cannot thank you enough for this conversation. I know we got into a lot, but I will tell everybody there's a lot more in the book. Uh, there is a lot more. <laughs> and it's written in a way. we can talk about. <laughs> well, definitely. When I think we probably will because I'm going to hit you up for maybe another interview or two in the future. Um, sure. cause I think it's, there's so much value in this. This is just, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's, there's so much Absolutely. more value in this, um, that I want yeah. people to just go to yeah, tell you what, just go to Karen's website, go to www.designofworkexperience.com. That's designofworkexperience.com and just check it out. Follow her on Twitter. It's at Karen jaw, Karen J A W. And just, Get a feel for for what she's doing and what's going on. This is a good book, and it's a good book because it's got the right thing in its heart, and that's people. So again, I'm obviously a fan of the book. This has been a great conversation to give us some insight into how people have a great experience at work while the business itself can also thrive. And in fact, it doesn't sound like you can have one without the other. So again, culture your culture. Check it out. Check out Karen's website. See what she's doing. There's some really good stuff out there. So, Karen, besides the book, and people are going to go to your website, hopefully, after I told them to a couple of times, but (laughs) can you tell us what other things you can offer besides this book and the best way people can get in touch with you? Uh, I'm available on all social media platforms, so Instagram, 
that's new. Instagram's new. Uh, Facebook, LinkedIn for sure, and Twitter. Uh, you can certainly contact me via the website as well. Uh, and because this book has come out, I've actually been generating a lot more content. So I'm writing articles that kind of go into a little bit more detail on certain areas of the book that, that didn't make it in. So, so there's a lot to be done, but I really appreciate conversations with people. I mean, that's why I love doing podcasts like this because you have that connectivity and, and it's two people putting their experiences together and having a conversation about it. It's, it's pretty amazing. And so I, I do appreciate engagement for people and I'd love to hear what resonates and what their needs are and how I can help. So there's, there's a lot of potential here. Well, and that is a, that's a great place to leave off because I know, like I said, through Karen, I was introduced to Sherry Torres and their book, and I'm going to be inter, um, interviewing uh, Jackie Stavros. So, Everybody there's out more there, people I can introduce you to. If you oh, like I love to. it because I think there's been in the last few weeks, there's been so much good content uh, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. Like I said, there's so much yeah. more out there. So what I would like people to do out there, they're listening. I hope you all got a lot of this episode because I know I got a ton out of it. If you have a chance, go ahead and visit the Crucial Talks website at www.crucialtalks.com. There are link, links there. You can connect with me on email or LinkedIn, Facebook or Twitter. So if you need anything from me or like me to speak to you or your organization, just please reach out, but really try to get in touch with me somehow, especially like on LinkedIn, because that's how I got to know Karen. That's how I communicated with Sherry and Jackie and uh, David Cooper writer keeps coming up. So in everybody's interview, so obviously go follow the Cooper writer center. Yeah. He's the guru (laughs) of appreciative inquiry. So Everybody out there, if you can also do me this one favor to share the podcast, leave a review and rate it, I would greatly appreciate it because this helps other people find these great sources of information through these interviews. Just like you're learning from Karen, I'm going to keep trying to do more of these things because there's so much great information out there on people that are now focused on other people and they're focused on the positive and they're focused on strength based capacity building. There's so much good going on out there that the more we can get this information out there, the more it's going to help everybody and really get us to a point where we're thriving and everybody wants to be part of that. So again, Karen, thank you so much. I'll put links to all of your um, connection information, your website, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that in the show notes. Thank you Mm -hmm. again for, for being on the show. Thanks so much, Mike. This was great. All right, everyone, I hope you have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.